The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. If you would please open to John chapter 8, it is page 894 in the Red Bible, page 1313 in the Children's Bible. If you notice, we're actually skipping verses 1 through 11 in the Red Bible. It is a story that many of you are probably familiar with. It is the story of the woman who is caught in adultery when Jesus comes and he gets down on a knee and he writes something in the sand. We don't know what it is. And then says to the Pharisees, uh, he who has, uh, how's it go? Uh, He without sin casts the first stone, right? It is a powerful story. For some of you, it is your favorite story in the Bible. But we are not going to preach on that text because it's not scripture. Uh, What you see is that it's, it's probably true. There's nothing in it that's out of line with Scripture that seems wrong. But one of the reasons we know the reliability of the Scriptures is because in the first century, there were hundreds of manuscripts, sometimes up to a thousand manuscripts, of things like the Gospel of John. And the earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of John consistently didn't include this story of the woman at the, or sorry, the woman caught in adultery. And so we, I love this story. Uh, you can now go and, and, and tell all your Christian friends and, and, and make their day a bad day too. But it's, it's, before you cast any stones at me, that's why we're doing it, okay? So it is a, it's a story that is encouraging, but it is the words of men that were inserted later. Probably great story, probably true. But we want to make sure that we're preaching the Word of God every day. And so we are skipping that passage and moving on to the next part. We're going to start in verse 12, read through verse 30. Uh, This is probably still during the Feast of Booths, which we talked about in John chapter 7. This is either the last night of the Feast of Booths or somewhere around there. Um, And we'll see that here from the context. But the Feast of Booths, if you don't remember, was a time where all of the Jews came together in Judea around Jerusalem. And they, they camped out in shacks. And they remembered the provision of God, both in the harvest that year, but more specifically, they would remember how God had provided for their ancestors in the wilderness when they were coming up out of Egypt to the promised land. And so Jesus speaking at this Feast of Booths is where we're going to pick up today. I'm going to read this uh, somewhat slowly. I was reminded at the men's retreat how important it is to soak in God's word, to hear it critically Uh, to enjoy it and to savor it as we read through it. So if you would, read with me John 8, verse 12 through 30. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of the world. Of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one that is according to the flesh. Yet even if I do judge, 
My judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sin, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that I have heard him. They did not understand that he, was, he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Let's pray. Gracious God, we praise you for your word. That it is inerrant, that it is infallible, that it is true, that it is full of grace and love and mercy towards us. Pray this morning that we might see the brilliance of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Darkness is not our friend, usually. <clears throat> Darkness is scary. Darkness is dangerous. Darkness is confusing. Let me give you a few examples from my own life. Early in the mornings, many times I have 6 a.m. meetings, and so I have to wake up really early when my whole family is still asleep, and it is dark. And so I have to search through my dark house to pick out clothes. If I was smart, I would do it the night before, but I usually don't. And so I'll go up to my closet and I will feel my clothing 
to see, okay, which shirt is this exactly? Because I can't see it. And so I will get dressed in the dark and then I will go into the bathroom and turn on the light to see if my clothes match. This week, I wasn't so lucky. I walked in, I had a brown shirt and brown pants and just thought, what can brown do for you? And then I had to go and, and change my clothes. At night, usually, uh, I'm the last one to bed and I turn off all the lights downstairs and I go upstairs into a dark hallway and uh, much to the peril of my feet, there are usually toy cars, humidifiers, Legos, things of that sort. The dark is painful sometimes. When Trish and I were first married, we lived in the basement of a, uh, there was an old, older lady and we lived in her basement. We paid like $250 a month to stay there. And one time she was out of town. She told us we were the only ones in the house. And uh, we, heard, uh, we heard what sounded like a little girl going, Hello? 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 It was freaky, right? We, we tried to convince each other that it was the cat, okay? We're like, it's got to be the cat. It's gotta, it can't be a little girl. Well, after a half an hour, we are wider awake than we've ever been in our life. And so we decide to make a run for it. And so we run up the stairs, run out the garage, jump into my truck, drive off. You know, my blood is pumping, We drive to Trisha's parents' house. I hand them my man card, and then we spend the night at their house. (laughs) Things go bump in the night. Night is scary. Darkness is scary. You can imagine in biblical times how much more this would have been understood. They had no electricity. They were constantly under the threat of enemies, of animals. Night, darkness is not our friend. In Ephesians 5, well, throughout Scripture, it tells us that physical darkness is a picture for us. It's a picture that God has given to us to show us our own spiritual darkness. Ephesians 5, Paul says that at one time you were darkness. He's speaking to the church. He's saying all of you were darkness. John 12 Jesus says, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in may not remain in darkness. John 3, we learn that people love the darkness. And so what we see throughout the scripture is that our souls are stuck in darkness. They're conceived in darkness where it is frightful, where it is where it is confusing. This is our spiritual condition before God, and it leads to great pain. But there is good news. God has provided a remedy. God has provided a light in the darkness. And that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to focus on the light that God has provided. And I want to ask three questions. What, why, and how? First, what? What is the light? What does it mean, light? Second, why? Why would we move from darkness to light? If all of us were conceived in darkness, why would we possibly move from something that we love into the light? And third, how? How do we move from darkness to the light? First, let's look at what is the light. We'll spend the majority of the time on this point right here. 
Verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. The simple answer, what is the light, is more who is the light, and it's Jesus. But what does Jesus mean when he refers to himself as light? Is he saying that he has eyeballs for flashlights? What does it mean that Jesus is the light? Well, if we look at this context, we see that this was a very bold claim because the Pharisees immediately jumped on this claim of Jesus and set out to disprove him, set out to discredit him. I'm not going to go into verses 14 through 18 much, but to summarize, they say, your, your testimony cannot be true because you don't have two witnesses. And Jesus says, my testimony is true. I do have two witnesses and both of them are God. Both of them came from heaven. I'm a witness and heavenly father is a witness. He was a witness at Jesus's baptism. As he said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. He's, he's a witness throughout the scriptures of the Old Testament as it all points to Christ. And Jesus says that the testimonies that you need to establish truth are fulfilled. But Jesus defends it ferociously. The people attack it quickly because the claim that Jesus makes is cataclysmic. It's massive. And so let's see, what does he mean by light? Well, as I mentioned, Jesus was teaching this around uh, either on the last night of the Feast of Booths or somewhere around there. And during the Feast of Booths, there were many rituals to remind the people of God of God's provision for their people in the wilderness. One of those rituals was that they would have these two huge candles. I mean, massive candles, bigger than any candle you've ever seen. And they would light these candles. It would light up the whole temple, but it would also put a glow over the city. And they would light these candles as a reminder that when their ancestors were traveling in the wilderness, God came as a pillar of light to lead them, to give them warmth, to give them light, to give them direction. And these candles were a reminder that God provided for the people in their darkness, that God provided light in their darkness. And in this context, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is saying, I am the provision of God for people walking in darkness. I am the light that all other lights point to. There's more to it, though, when Jesus says he is the light. As we look at this passage, um, I want to just break down um, kind of what, what, this, what this means. First off, Jesus starts, I'm going to break down the six words, I am, and then the light, and then of the world. Jesus starts by saying, I am. This is the name of God. We've talked about this before, but in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What is the name of God? What is the name of the father of Israel? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This term, I am, Yahweh, was deemed so holy by the people of God that they would not even mention it. In fact, this term, Yahweh, was only used 10 times a year, all at once, 
during Yom Kippur by the religious leader of the day. And when it was spoken, people would fall prostrate on the ground and worship the Lord. And here Jesus not only mentions the name I am, Jesus claims it for himself. He says, I am the light of the world. This is the the second of the seven I am statements of Jesus in the gospel of John. So far we've seen Jesus say, I am the bread of life. Now he says, I am the light of the world. And we'll cover the rest of them as we journey through the gospel of John. But Jesus claims divinity. And then he says, I am the light. We shared with you the context of of the Feast of Booths. He's claiming to be the provision of God for the people of God, wandering in the darkness. But if you take this word light and you do a word study on it, which is what we're actually going to do, is you will see that this term light actually plays throughout redemptive history. God uses this word light throughout the scriptures. The first time we see it is in the first chapter of the Bible. Genesis 1-3, the very first words that we read from God in the Bible are this. Let there be light. Then we read it in the last chapter of the Bible. In Revelations 22, we read that God is the light that lights the new heavens and the new earth. And then between those two lights, light is used 243 times. Sometimes physically, many times metaphorically to communicate something amazing about God. It's used in the Psalms 25 times, 23 times here in the Gospel of John. And so when Jesus says, I am the light, he is claiming all of those metaphors point to him. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through, there's there's a lot of them. And I picked out 10 that we're going to go through quickly of what does it mean when Jesus says, I am the light. You see, if, if, if light is used throughout scripture to point to a spiritual reality and Jesus says, I am the light, then all of those spiritual realities, all of those metaphors in scripture point to Jesus. Okay, so let's look at them quickly. First, we see Jesus is the glory of God's dwelling. First Timothy 6.16 says, that God dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Secondly, Jesus is the nature of God. 1 John 1.5 simply says, God is light, and in him is no darkness. And Jesus is claiming this for himself. Number three, Jesus is the favor of God. Psalm 4.6, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Lift up your favor upon us, God. Jesus is the favor of God. Jesus is the illumination of God for God's people. Isaiah 60, 19 and 20. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light. Not only is Jesus the illumination of God for God's people, but Jesus is the illumination of God in God's people. John 1.4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Number six, Jesus is the guiding truth of God for God's people. He provides spiritual enlightenment. He is the word become flesh. Psalm 43.3 says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill. 
and to your dwelling. Number seven, Jesus is the blessing of God. In Esther, after the people of God are delivered, it says to the Jews, had, the Jews had light. They had the blessing and gladness and joy and honor. Eight, Jesus is the good news of God. You remember when John the Baptist come, we read that John came as a witness to bear witness about the light, about the good news that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone. Two more. Number nine, Jesus is the righteousness of God, the moral perfection, holiness of God. Romans 13, 12 says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, the armor of righteousness. Finally, Jesus is salvation. Psalm 27 of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So you see, when Jesus claims to be the light, it is not a small claim. If you read in preparation for for today, you probably just read right through it, didn't give it a second thought. The Jewish leaders understood, probably not all of this, but they understood that Jesus was claiming something great. Jesus claims all of these things are true of him, that all of the light points to him. So we see Jesus says, I am. He says, I am the light. And finally, he says, I am the light of the world. This is the best news yet, because even if it's true that Jesus is I am, even if it's true that Jesus is the light, that really has no benefit to us until Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He is the light of our world. This is such good news because it means God did not stay at a distance. God did not let us remain in our confusion, in our calamity, in our suffering, and in our pain, and in our fear. It means that God did not leave us without hope. That God stepped down into the darkness to come and rescue us. In, um, in 2010, there was a movie named, entitled Buried. How many of you have seen the movie Buried? Okay. How many of you would actually recommend it that have seen it? No one. Okay. Maybe I heard it from you then. I couldn't remember who I heard it from. But, but uh, someone, must have been Jason, told me about they watched this movie Buried and said it was just the, the worst movie they've ever seen. Okay. So don't go see it. But it makes a pretty good illustration, all right? So in this story, I read it on Wikipedia, which has to be true. But uh, in this story, um, this man who is a, his name's Paul Conroy. He's an American civilian truck driver, and he gets buried alive. He gets a, uh, when he's buried alive in this coffin, he's, he's down there. He's, he's in the darkness. Uh, he has a glow stick and a flashlight and a cell phone. But he's buried down in the darkness, and he receives a call on his cell phone, and it is from uh, the men who actually uh, ransacked him. Evidently, he was part of this scheme, to uh, a ransom scheme, in which they buried him and then were asking for however many million dollars to dig him up. Well, he calls the State Department, and the State Department says, we don't, we don't, you know, we don't answer ransoms, we don't pay ransoms, but we will come and find you. And so you go throughout the movie, and they're trying to find him. And at the end of the movie, they, they find a coffin in the ground. 
but it isn't his. And the movie ends that way. This man in total darkness. The good news is that's not the Bible story. The Bible story is that even though we were in darkness, even though we are buried in darkness, God did not let us be. God pursued us. The light of the world came down, broke into the darkness to rescue us and bring us into the light. In John 12, 46, Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. We are conceived in spiritual darkness, but the light has come into the world. I want to give you some homework. I'm not done with the sermon yet, but I want to give you some homework. You know, we live in a very electronical age. We have lights everywhere. I mean, you could start counting the lights. Don't do it now, but you could count the lights, and there are probably hundreds, a hundred lights in this room alone. As you go home and you go throughout your days, you flip on a light switch. As you see a bright light, as you see the sun appear, you know, I love that it was gloomy today. What a great backdrop to proclaim that Jesus is the light of the world. But as you go and you see lights come on, ask yourself, what is God teaching me about himself here? About what he illuminates, what he makes glow, what he shows, what directions he gives. And so as you flip on your car lights, as you turn on your lights at home, think to yourself, Jesus is the light of the world. And ask, what is he teaching me about himself? All right, so what is the light? Jesus declares I am the light of the world. So that's the what. Now the why. Why should we come to the light? If we love darkness in our own sinful nature, why would we ever come to the light? And there's three reasons. The first is to possess the light. Verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, it's interesting here because we would expect John to say, whoever, or Jesus to say, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will walk in the light. But that's not what he says. What he says is, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That the light of the world, Jesus Christ, becomes our possession. That the light of the world comes into us. It abides in us. He abides in us as we abide in him. And so one reason to transfer from the darkness to the light is that we get to possess the light. And when we possess the light, we get to be God's agents of redemption and pushing the darkness out of the world. You know, I love that we shared this slideshow of sending, uh, sending uh, clothing to Ukraine to our orphans. This is part of our way to push the darkness out of the world. Christians are always the people who have led the way in pushing darkness out of the world and leading humanitarian efforts to end things like, like, uh, like AIDS, like to, to set up hospitals. Because Christians grow to hate darkness. They grow to know that God is the light of the world, that Jesus is the light of the world, and that we can push out the darkness through the power of Jesus Christ. And so we possess the light, can push out the light, excuse me, push out the darkness, both in our own lives and in the world. 
The second reason is to know the light. Remember, John, 1 John 1, 5 said, God is light. That includes the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is light. And in this passage, we see that the Pharisees, the religious people, did not know God. Look with me in verse 19. It says, They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered them, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Now, these Pharisees knew Jesus. They knew his name. They knew what he looked like. What does it mean that they did not know Jesus? Well, they had no relationship with Jesus. They had no intimacy, no friendship with Jesus. And yet when we come into the light, we are told that we are sons and daughters of the light, that we are friends of God, that we get to know God, not just on a first name basis, but we get to know him intimately as our father, as our friend, as our savior. And so we get to know the light. Finally, we get to finish in the light. See what Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. See, see, see the stern statement that Jesus makes. Read with me verse 21 through 24. So Jesus said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me. In other words, they will seek a Messiah. Okay? They're not going to seek Jesus as Messiah, but they're going to seek a Messiah. He says, you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Remember that. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. What does it mean? Jesus three times tells them, you will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. What does that mean? It means that when we die, which all of us will, when we die and we stand before a holy God, we will be clothed in our sin. He will see us according to our sin. He will see all the things that we have done in darkness. When we thought that our sin could be hidden, it will be as bright as light to him. And he will judge us according to the wicked actions that we have done, to our debauchery, to the things that we have thought, the things that we have craved. He will judge us according to things that we should do and haven't done. That's what it means to be clothed in your sin, to die in your sin. You know, if there's one part of my theology that I get really uncomfortable with, it's Jesus' view of hell. Jesus says in several passages the same thing, and this is how Jesus describes hell. Jesus describes hell as the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, we can, we can ignore hell. We can joke about hell. But hell is a sobering reality. It does not matter if you believe in hell or not, because one day you will. This is, this is if, if nothing else would motivate you to be agents of God's light and proclaiming the light and pointing people to the light, it would be a firm understanding of hell. 
there's good news. There is not only an eternal darkness, there is also an eternal light reserved for those who do not die in their sin, but who die in the righteousness of Christ, clothed in his righteousness, not by their own actions, but by faith and by trusting in him. Revelations 22, 5 puts it this way, and there will be no more, and, and night will be no more. There will, they will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Just as there is a place of eternal darkness, there is a place of eternal light. So why transfer from the darkness to the light? That we might possess the light and have the life of light. That we might know the light, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That we might finish in the light, destined for eternity, not in darkness, but in the light. Finally, Final question, how do we get into this light? If we want to be transferred from darkness to light, if we want to possess light, if we want to know the light, if we want to finish in the light, how do we get from darkness to light? Verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. When Jesus says, whoever follows me, this term follow is a term that's used in military of those that would follow their king or their commander into battle. And so Jesus, Jesus is gentle. He is meek, but Jesus is king. He is not merely a therapist that, that, that strokes our eagle. Je- Jesus is king who we are to follow. And he says, if you follow me, if you put yourself behind me, You will be in the light. Verse 24. I told you, you would die in your sins. For unless, that's a contingency, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And then this good news in verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. How do we move from darkness to light? Can we generate Spiritual light? Well, no more than your chair can generate physical light, right? So we can't generate spiritual light. How do we come into the light? How do we have the light dwell inside us? Well, Jesus says, follow me. Believe in me. Move into the light. You know, this time of the year is hard on almost all of us, some more than others, struggling with seasonal depression due to the lack of warm sunlight. And we know that we cannot purchase sunlight, right? We can't take a sun and raise it up over our house or over our workplace or over our yard, right? And so we will do radical things just to move into the sunlight. We will do crazy things. Like we will travel 24 hours in a car with four kids to Florida because we want to be in the light right? We want to move into the light. We want to move into the warmth of the sunshine. Without Christ, life is like winter without ever having summer. It's like darkness without ever having light. How can we move into sun light, S-O-N light? 
Well, it won't cost you plane tickets. It won't cost you gas money, thankfully. Don't know if I could afford it. It costs us nothing, but it costs the light everything. Jesus alludes to it when he says that the Son of Man must be lifted up. Not that they would lift him up to be king or the leader of the Pharisees, but that he would be lifted up on the cross, that he would be nailed to the cross, that he would be crucified. In the three synoptic gospels, they include this really interesting detail about the cross. They tell us that from the sixth to the ninth hour, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, from the sixth to the ninth hour, that is from noon till 3 p.m., that darkness came over the land. It wasn't overcast like today is. It wasn't foggy. It was dark. What's that mean? What's happening? Well, if we look at John 3.19, again it says, And this is the judgment. The light, Jesus Christ, has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. The light of heaven stepped down into this dark world. The light of heaven became the light of the world, but humanity loved the darkness, hated the light, and crucified the light. At the cross, the darkness of the world and the darkness of our sin came crashing down on the light of the world, Jesus Christ. At the cross, the light of the world took on our darkness, took on our sin. At the cross, the darkness overcame the light of the world. But three days later, the light overcame the darkness. Three days later, the light of the world raised triumphant over death. Three days later, the light shined through the darkness. John 1.5 says that the light, Jesus Christ, shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is such good news that the light has won. The light is victorious. The light took on the darkness and conquered it so that we who were born in darkness could be transferred from darkness into light. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 puts it this way. It says, He, the Father, has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me end with this illustration. This past week, I was having breakfast with John and, and Jeff Rogers, and John was in the military, and he was telling about how he was stationed in Tromso, Norway. Um, he couldn't tell me what he did because he'd have to kill me if he did, which makes John automatically cool. But um, he was stationed in Tromso, Norway, and it is the second largest city north of the Arctic Circle. Okay. Second largest city north of the Arctic Circle. In November, they average six hours of darkness. I'm sorry, six hours of light. In November, they average six hours of light. Now, you might be saying, that's not so bad. Six hours of light a day? No, this is six hours of light a month. <laughs> they get six hours of light the whole month of November. That's their average. In January, they only average three hours of light for the entire month, not per day, for the whole month. And yes, in December, their average amount of light is zero hours. What they have is this thing called a polar night from November 21st to January 21st. For two months, it is dark. For two months, there is no sunshine. 
Could you imagine? I mean, it makes me feel like a sissy for complaining about living in Wisconsin. For two months, you wake up, you go to work, it's dark. You run errands, it's dark. You go to lunch and it's dark. You come home and it's dark. For two months, it is dark. That is the polar night, two months long. Could you imagine the joy that comes when the sun appears? They actually have a festival called the Aurora Festival in celebration of what they call the day of the sun, the day of the sun, the day when the sun comes back out after two months of darkness and finally appears upon the horizon. What a joyous day that would be. Matthew 4.16 says this, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Our polar night is over. The light of the world came into the darkness. He stepped down to rescue us from darkness and bring us into light, that we might possess the light, that we might know the light, that we might be destined for the light. And he did this by taking on our darkness at the cross and giving us his light in the resurrection. This is great news, worthy of a great celebration. One that doesn't happen once a year, but a celebration that happens every day, personally, as we celebrate that the sun has risen and the sun has shined on us. It's a celebration that we do together once a week on Sunday. Celebrating the sun who has shined upon us, who has broken into this world and conquered darkness. The light, Jesus Christ, shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that your light broke into this world to rescue us from darkness. May we walk in the light that we have been saved to, that we might enjoy it and glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.